Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Well, the great thinkers and philosophers, the Beatles, once saying, Now give me money, that's what I want, that's what I want. Your loving gives me a thrill, but your loving don't pay the bills. Now give me money, that's what I want. Money don't get everything, it's true, but what it don't get, I can't use. Now give me money, that's what I want, that's what I want. Well, now give me money, a lot of money, that's what I want. Our world has a lot of thoughts about money, doesn't they? Have a lot of thoughts and opinions about money, and I'm going to go ahead and say that maybe we walk into the room with the same amount of ideas and thoughts about money, because truth is, all of us have possessed some amount of money at some point in time, okay? Some of us more than others, some of us less than others. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that for most everybody in the room as I look around, most everybody has probably worked a job at some point, some amount of hours, and you have earned some amount of money, okay? Again, some of us more than others. And then I would go ahead and confidently say that all of us in the room, perhaps even before you got here today, all of us at some point in our life have spent some amount of money, okay? Some of us more than others, all right? Husbands, don't look at your wife, okay? Some of us have spent more than others. And I would even go so far today as to say that all of us, perhaps all of us, at some point in our journey have worried, at least for a moment, about money. We've all thought about money. See, if you fall into all of those categories or maybe just one of those categories, then today we're starting a new series with you in mind. A new series that we're calling Entrusted, learning to manage what you've been given. The reality is we all got money to some extent, and it doesn't matter how much or how little you got, we all got to figure out how to manage it, and none of us are perfect at it if we got honest. Money is one of the biggest stressors on individuals. It's one of the biggest stressors on marriages. It causes divorces. It's one of the biggest pressures on families, on business owners. I would bet almost everyone here had at least a conversation, a discussion, maybe an argument, or perhaps even a moment of stress just this past week, just over the last seven days, over money. Money affects all of us. And so today, as we begin this new series, my hope is that we would begin to understand and to step in to God's design for money. Now, from the beginning, let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room because I know what some of you are already thinking, okay? Some of you are going, man, how did we mess up and end up at church on the day they're talking about money? Man, why did we take that invite, right? Or maybe for some of you, you've fairly new to our family and you're going, uh-huh, I was just waiting on it, right, right? This they, church just wants one thing. They just want my money. So I want to go ahead from the beginning of our series, beginning of our day-to-day, and man, just wipe away all of those misconceptions to say, man, no, that's not what it's about. See, this series is not an opportunity to try to raise money to get us out of debt. We're actually debt-free and, and pretty happy about that. It's not a condemnation if God's given you wealth and he's blessed you in that way. It's not a condemnation of your wealth. And it's also not three easy steps to gain $100,000, okay? Maybe some of you, you're like, hey, we're showing up. We're hoping that's the key. All right, we're not going there. But here's what this series is about. Man, it's, it's about stepping into God's design for God's resources that he's entrusted to us. And how do we walk and live that out? See, for us as a church family, one of our core values is that we're exchanging ideas for truth, meaning that we will teach the truth, the whole truth of God's word, every bit of it, including what God's word has to say about money. 
And from the very beginning, God knew that money would be a source of great tension. He called it ahead of time. That's why in his word, in the Bible, it contains over 2,300 verses about money and our stuff, our resources. That's more, if you're counting, that's more than heaven, hell, faith, or prayer. God knew that money would be a really big deal, and so he gave us some really clear instructions on it. So today, we're going to start a conversation talking about how to manage the entrusted resources that all of us have on some level. And I believe this, okay, here's my ask of you as we step in today. I believe that if you will enter today with an open heart and an open mind and maybe let go of some of your preconceived ideas and have an open attitude about things, I believe that today and during this series, seriously, that God will grow you, that God will teach you, and that God will bless you in some ways maybe like he never has before. Okay, so today we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 3. That's where we're going to be for our passage, Proverbs chapter 3. If you split your Bible in half and you're good at halves, you're probably going to land in Psalms. Go one more to the right and you should be in Proverbs chapter 3. We're also going to put the scripture on the screen behind me if you don't have a copy with you. Now, Proverbs was written by a guy by the name of Solomon. If you know about Solomon, Solomon was not only one of the richest men who ever lived, but he was also one of the wisest men who ever lived. And so what better place to start with a series where we're talking about how to wisely manage our money than with a guy who was really smart and who had a whole lot of it. So I want you to see what Solomon has to say in Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years, and they will bring you peace and prosperity. Verse 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Now, in these first four verses, Solomon says, hey, listen up, listen up, because what I'm about to say is life-changing, eternal information. It's valuable stuff. Solomon was preparing to write some very specific commands on how to live a full, purpose-filled, God-honoring life. And I'm going to go ahead and say that for most everybody in the room, perhaps everybody, we all would love to know how to do that. And so Solomon says, I'm headed there. Write this down. This is so important. I don't want you to forget it. Write it down. He actually says, write it on the tablets of your heart. He says, bind it around your neck. In other words, what he's saying is, don't let it leave your sight or your mind. Man, live by this. And then in verse 4, he takes it a step further to say, when you obediently walk out this out, you will be in good standing with God and with man. So what is, what is Solomon going to say? Here it is, verse 5, Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil, for this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now, Solomon gives us some incredibly powerful words, not really just for money, but for life. And in the first four words of verse 5, he gives us the foundational truth, really for today and our whole series. And he gives these four powerful words. He says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Now, I wonder how many of you have ever been to like a challenge course or ropes course or you've done like a group recreational activity and they challenge you to do the trust fall. Anybody like you've done the trust fall before? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, a lot of crazy people in here and some of you are like, I'm not telling you or I don't even know what you're talking about. So here's the deal. If you've never seen or participated in the blessing of a trust fall, um, here's here's what it looks like, okay? If you're the person doing the fall, then you're going to step up on a chair or a table. Kids, don't do that any other time, okay? Just the trust fall. Step up on a chair or a table, something of raised elevation, and then you take two or three or four or 
however big a boy you are, okay, number of people, and you put them behind you, and their goal is, their mission is to catch you, right? you got to trust them, and you're going to fall. Now, if you've ever been the person who's done the fall before, then you know that moment when you're standing up on the table or the raised elevation, whatever it is, and you, you lock your arms, and you turn your back to them, and you get ready on one, two, three, and you're going, okay? In that moment, right, at one and two, and when you're standing there, and you're like, how did I get picked? Okay, in that moment, you seriously begin to question your relationship with the people behind you who claim that they're going to catch you. Do you not, right? You start thinking about that guy or girl, you're like, I don't know if they really count me as a friend. They may have been faking it all these years. They just like my post on Facebook. That's it, but it's not really my friend. Or you're like, this, this person over here, like, man, I hope they don't remember what I did to them in third grade, right? I hope they're not holding that against me because I'm about to go, right? And one, two, three, and you fall because in that moment, right before you fall, you begin to question, are these people really trustworthy? Can I trust them? See, in that moment, you can't fake trust. Either you got it or either you don't. And it's the same way with our life. Trust is a continual choice and action of our life. Trust. Do we trust? And Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 3 that the direction and purposes of your life will never fully make sense unless you trust in the Lord. That's what Solomon says. And so let me go ahead and be honest from the beginning of today and this kind of three-week series we're going to be in. Okay, listen to me closely. If you are not living in a daily surrendered trust relationship with Jesus, okay? If you're maybe just here playing the church game today, we're glad you're here, but listen to me. If you're not living in that daily surrendered relationship with Jesus, then what I'm going to tell you today and what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks is not going to make sense. With me? It's not going to make sense, okay? Because what Solomon says is that trust is the foundation of a relationship with Jesus. And although we live in a world built on self-reliance and independence and get me and do mine and all about me, listen, God calls us to a relationship of trust. He says, will you trust me? Now, Solomon goes on, verse 5. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, why did Solomon have to write with all your heart? Why didn't he just say trust in the Lord with your heart? That would have been enough, right? No, because he knew that our default would be to just partially trust God. Is that not what happens, right, with our kids? Parents, okay, God, I trust that you're going to take care of my kid. You're going to protect them and provide for them. It'll be all good. But if you don't, all right, we're going to do this over here. Is that not what happens with our career? Is it not? Like, God, I, I, prom- I know you're going you're gonna to guide me and make my path straight. And you're going to help me know where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. But if you don't, you forget, like, I got plan B. Is, it, is that not what happens with our relationships, right? Like, I, God, I know that you're going to give me that guy or that girl that I'm supposed to date or I'm supposed to marry. You'll guide me to the one, right? I know that he'll be amazing and she'll be awesome, she'll be beautiful. But if somehow you forget or your timing takes a little bit long, okay, I got this alternate plan over here and we're going to work it out. Is it not true that we are so guilty of partial trust, which, let's be honest, is not really trust at all? See, in the trust fall game, you can't partially fall back. Either you trust or you don't. Commentator and author Paul Larson wrote this quote. You'll see it on the screen. He says, in the final analysis of all government, all economics, all currency and banking, all institutions and all marriages— All relationships between people are fundamentally governed by trust. Without trust, society deteriorates into paranoia, the feeling that everybody is out to get you. 
Solomon says, trust. And then in verse 6, he says, in all your ways, submit to him. Submit to God. This idea of coming up under his authority and his rule and his commands and promises in our life. Let's be honest. Submit is not really a popular word in our culture. Like, I wouldn't suggest going to the school or office tomorrow and just throwing around the word submit. Hey, well, what's probably you guys' problem? Why don't y'all submit, all right? We don't wake up. No one lo- wakes up longing to submit. It's not the default of our life. But here's the thing. Submitting is a learned discipline over time that starts with trust. It starts with trust. And we will never submit to someone that we don't feel we can trust. I'll say that again. We will never submit to someone that we don't feel we can trust. Okay? It's why you left your job because your boss ticked you off. You didn't feel like you could trust him anymore, so you no longer submitted to his or her leadership. Students, it's why maybe you checked out or you stopped trying in that class where the teacher pressed your button and ticked you off or rubbed you wrong. You didn't trust them anymore, so you stopped submitting to them. Ladies, it's why you dropped that guy that you were dating like a 100-pound brick when he was talking to that other girl, because what? You didn't think you could trust him anymore, and so no longer are you going to submit to him. See, we'll never submit and come up under someone that we don't feel that we can trust. However, the more we learn to trust someone, the more we will willingly submit to them. The more we learn to trust someone, the more we will willingly submit to them. And Solomon gives these bold, wise instructions. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Submit to him in all your ways. And then in verse 6, he says, when these things become the practice of your life, not just like try it every every once in a while, but when it becomes the practice of your life, look at it. Verse 6, he says, God will make our paths straight. He didn't say easy, but he said straight. He will make them straight. See, God gives a response to our trust and submission by directing and guiding the path of our life. Wonder if you ever live life feeling like you're stuck? I think we've probably all been there. I think in those moments, there's a really good chance that maybe you're refusing to trust God and his plans, and maybe you're having the tendency to do our default, which is lean on our plans and our ways. And I'm convinced after living on this earth long enough that sometimes God will leave you stuck until you choose to trust him. See, here's what... Solomon would write in Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do. And here it is, and he, and he will establish your plans. Solomon says, hear my wise words. Trust is the foundation of your relationship with God. So now, let me flip it this way. Solomon said that, so let me ask you this question. Do you trust God? Student, single adult, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, do you really trust God? Now, I know we're in church today, and so like the correct answer is, yeah, absolutely, okay. No, no, no. Do you really trust God? Like when things get rocky in your marriage, with your family, at your job, at your friend's circle, with your health, like do you really trust God? When things are stable, okay, when things are stable and everything's good and you're not, not a fire to put out in life, okay, do you, do you trust God or do you trust you? Okay? When, the, when the worries and the stresses and the pressures of this life come, and we all got to deal with them, okay? Do, here it is. Do you crumble or do you trust God? Do you really trust God? 
Trust is the foundation, we've just said it, of a healthy relationship. And Solomon says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Now, some of you are thinking like, bro, why are you talking so much about trust, man? I thought we were going to talk about money, okay? That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. But listen to me. Listen, here's the, the, most, here's the largest principle and truth that I can give you today or throughout our whole series is this right here. Listen to me. Listen to me. Our struggle with money is never a money issue, but it's always a trust issue. Your struggle, my struggle with money is never a money issue. It's always a trust issue. See, we've entitled this series Entrusted because at the middle of the word entrusted is the word trust. Trust. See, this series is not about how much money you got, how little or how big, what your paycheck looks like, what job you have. That's not what it's about. This series is about do you trust God? Do you? Like, do you believe that God is the creator and the provider and the sustainer of all things? Because listen to me, if you don't really trust him, you will never do money or life his way. See, we could say that trust and money are so intricately connected that if you pull a dollar bill or any coin out of your pocket, there's going to be four words on it. In God we trust. See, from the very beginning, our forefathers said, if it's going to get right, if it's going to happen, do it the right way. We got to trust God with our money. Do you trust God? Our struggle with money is never a money issue. It's always a trust issue. Always. And so Solomon, who was wise and wealthy, writes these words next. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Look at it. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Solomon says, if you trust God and you submit to him in all your life, with all your ways, then one of the ways that it will show itself is by trusting God with your wealth. Now, I know what some of you are going to say. I'm not wealthy. You ain't seen my bank account, man. I don't make hardly anything. Listen to me. Listen to me. Let me tell you otherwise, okay? If you make more than $10,000 a year, 10000 then you're in the top 29% of the richest people in the world. You rolling, okay? All right, if you drove, if you drove a car here today, then you're among the top 17% of the richest people in the world. Whether it's a Beamer or a Clunker, you're in it. If you make more than fifty thousand dollars a year then you're in the top one percent of the wealthiest people in the world congratulations we are wealthy people and we have been given a great responsibility here it is by the giver of all wealth he says i get i entrust this to you for you to manage in other words god says in the area where it may be hardest to trust me i'm telling you to trust me because i'm the giver of all that you have i gave it to you god owns it all and god says manage it wisely and honor me the lord with your wealth he says trust me with what i've given to you and then here's what scripture does scripture teaches that part of our worship response back to god is to return a portion of his money that's in our pocket to bring it back to him in a worship response. Now listen to me. 
This is where the church gets a crazy bad rap, all right, because we live in the Bible building. Everybody got a thought, okay? And you turn on the TV and listen to TV preacher, okay, and I don't even, just turn it off, turn it off, okay? Listen to me. So here's what I want to do in the rest of our time today. I want to talk through this from as clear of a biblical, eternal, God-honoring perspective as I know how to do about what is this call that God gives us. Track with me. We've got a lot to say. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, God gives some very direct instructions to his people about how we are to trust God with our resources. Malachi chapter 3, it's on the screen, verses 8 through 10. Some of you will have heard this. Look at it with me again. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Verse 10, Malachi uses this word. He says, bring the tithe. If you've been in the Bible Belt long enough, you've been to a church or you've been in an exchange family long enough, you've heard us say the word tithe. Now, what does the word tithe really mean? There are a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misunderstandings about what is really the tithe. So today, I want to take a few minutes, and I want to lay out what does the word actually mean, and what does that look like for us as obedient Christ followers who trust him? What does it look like for us to walk that out? So here's some questions that maybe you're asking. Maybe you never ask them out loud, but today you get some answers, hopefully. Number one, what is a tithe? What is a tithe? Multiple places throughout the Old Testament, we see this command to tithe. I'm going to give you two of them. Leviticus 27.30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 14.22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. So what we learn from those scriptures is that a tithe is 10%. A tithe is 10% of your earnings that is commanded to be brought back to God. Now, notice, never in Scripture does it say that we're to give our tithe. Why is that? Because you can't give what didn't belong to you in the first place, right? God owns it all, and he says, I want you to bring it back to me in an act of love and trust, saying that you realize that it's all mine anyway, and saying that you trust me. So a tithe is returning 10%. What we have back to God as a reminder to God and himself and to us that we trust him. So what does that look like practically? That means that if you make $300 a week, that you would tithe at the end of that week, you would tithe $30 as a tenth, a tithe, back to God. Now, let's say that you make um, $1,000 a week. That means that you would give $100 as a tithe at the end of the week. So at the end of the month, you would have given $400. At the end of the year, if my math's right, you would have given $5,200 brought it back to God as a tithe to say, God, I trust you, and it's really yours anyway, but you're giving this to me to manage, and so I'm worship response back to you to say, I trust you. A tithe is 10% off the top. Now, here's where people want to dig deep into it, and they say, well, well, in this idea, this is only a command mentioned in the Old Testament, and now we're not in the Old Testament, we're in the New Testament, and we're living under grace and not the law anymore. And if that's, if that's been your thought, like, guess what? You're right. You are correct. The command to tithe is only a command given to us in the Old Testament. But, but let's go deeper, okay? Jesus in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus comes to earth, and this is what he says. He says, I didn't come to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it. 
In other words, because of the grace offered to you and to me through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our standard is no longer simply the law, but now we respond and live under the standard of grace. So what does that mean? That means that the command of the tithe was only a guideline to get us started as we trust Jesus. And so now we have to ponder the question that because of the cross and the empty tomb and the grace that's been given to us, well, should we give less or should we give more? See, a tithe was merely a jumping off point for those who trust Jesus with all that they have. No, no, so now what is an offering? Well, if a tithe is 10%, then an offering is anything that you obediently bring back to God above that, above your tithe. You would give a tithe and an offering. So what is a tithe? Who should tithe? Who, who should tithe? I believe Scripture teaches that everyone should tithe. Wealthy people, if you consider yourself wealthy, you should tithe. Those people who would say, man, I'm, I'm not wealthy, okay, you should tithe. Pastors and church staff members should tithe. One of the job description requirements for anybody who's on the exchange staff team is that you would obediently tithe back to Jesus and his church. Why, don't y'all work here? Yeah, but here's the deal. The pull of anyone's heart can be so easily yanked away to the things and the temporary things of this world that we forget to trust God with what's ultimately his in the first place. See, everyone is called to tithe. But can I give you some, some really hard, raw numbers today? A recent study showed that in a normal American church congregation, only between 10 to 25% of people tithe. That's a fourth. Only 5% of Americans altogether tithe. And of all Americans, 8% of Americans only give 2% of their income. Christians are now giving 2.5% per capita, while during the Great Depression, Americans gave more at 3.3%. Now, I don't say all that to heap guilt on you, or to heap guilt on me. But here's what I know, okay, because I live in the world too. We often wonder, man, what in the world is going to happen with our world? We turn on the TV. Man, I can't believe it. Another thing, right? And we wonder, what in the world is going to happen? Listen to me, listen to me. If just the believers, just the, the, we honor God, we trust God, if the good church-going people who follow Jesus, if they just obediently tithe, this study says that we would have enough to solve global hunger, eliminate illiteracy, solve the world's water sanitation problem, fully fund all overseas missions, oh, and still have a few hundred billion left over. See, everybody is called to trust God, to tithe obediently. Well, when should you tithe? When, when should you do it? Exodus 23, 19, look at it. It says, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. So the idea of first fruits means 10% off the top. In other words, it should be the first thing that you do when you get your paycheck. This means that some people would tithe every week. Some people maybe tithe just every other week. And some people tithe once a month. Well, does that mean I should tithe um, before taxes or after? Because, you know, I don't, I don't actually see the tax amount, okay? You're right. You're right. But what are they called? Income taxes, okay? And so it's, it's my belief that we should tithe off of the full amount. What goes to Uncle Sam and ultimately what comes to us. We should tie the full amount. But here's the deal. Okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. And some of you are thinking this right now. Here's where you are. 
man, like you, like I gotta pay my house note. I gotta pay my car note. We gotta pay insurance. We got the sale bill. Like we we gotta eat. So how in the world, if I'm gonna give God the first ten percent off the top, how in the world? Am I going to get by on only 90%? Like, it's already not a lot right there right now. How in the world am I going to get by if I trust God with the first 10% on this 90%? Can I ask you a question? Do you think God forgot that you got to pay your house note? Do you think that the God of the universe who created you and makes your heart beat right now, you think he forgot you got to eat and your kids? We just read it a while ago, right? Malachi 3. Here's what it said. Look at it again. Malachi 3, verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Here it is. Here it is. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says, test me. Test me. Guess what? This is the only place in all of Scripture where God says, test me. And what does it have to do with money? He knew it. Like, he, he knew it would be the battle of your household. He knew it would be the biggest thing that you fight about. And God says, bring the first 10% and then watch how I expand and use the other 90%. So guess what? Every time, every time you get paid, every time I get paid, we take a test. Who will we trust more? Who do we believe is a better manager? Us or God? We trust him with the first 10% and then watch him work through the other 90%. And we have to ponder this question. All of us have to ponder this question today. Would you rather live with 100% of your income and have it cursed or with 90% of your income with all of it blessed? Because here's, here's what Scripture says. Scripture says when, when we hold on to it, it is cursed. When we bring it back to God in obedience, we open the door for God to bless and provide. And here's what the New Testament under grace would say about our God. Philippians 4 verse 19. And my God will meet some of your needs. It's not what it says. And my God will meet all, all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you from personal experience that we serve a ridiculously crazy, faithful, generous God who loves to take care of his kids and provide for them when they trust him with what he's entrusted to them. Now, should you get out of debt before you start tithing? We didn't even dive into the debt numbers today. They're crazy out the roof. Should you get out of debt before you start tithing? Well, some people may think, well, maybe I can start tithing 2% while times are tough, and then I can work my way up. All right, let's think about that for a minute. Do you do that in any other area of your spiritual life? Okay, let, let's say that with my wife, that I have a habit, and I'm lying to her 50 times a week. All right, it's like, it's way gotten out of habit, okay, it, out, out of hand. It's bad. And so I go to her, and she finds out, and, she t- and I'm like, oh, baby, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll bring you flowers. I'll, I'll cook you dinner. You know, man, I'll take care of you. Whatever. Okay, but listen, listen, listen. Next week, babe, next week, I promise, I will only lie to you next week. I'll only lie 48 times, okay? <laughs> How do you think that's going to go? You don't know my wife, but I'm just telling you, that ain't going to fly, okay? That ain't flying. We don't do it in any other area of our spiritual life. And so God says, no, a tithe is 10% off the top that you would fully trust me with your first and your best. I love the old quote from a pastor that says this, are you unable to tithe because you're broke? Or are you broke 
because you're unable to tithe. So much truth. Where should you tithe? Well, we read it, Malachi 3, said that the tithe should go to the storehouse, to the local church. So you should tithe, you should tithe wherever you are connected to spiritual community. Now, there are a lot of amazing organizations, nonprofits in our world who do some incredible work, okay? And there's nothing wrong with giving to them, nothing. But God says, hey, the tithe, the 10%, the first part off the top, man, I want you to bring to my house to say, I trust you. Well, what happens with your tithe? Now, I can't answer for every church, but I can answer for what happens in this house. Your tithe is counted by a money handling team with great care and an accountability system in place. I don't know who gives what, and I don't want to know who gives what. And I tell them, don't tell me. Then that money is used for the ministry of our family, of our church. So some of it is used to pay our staff team salaries so that they can take care of their families. Some of it's used to pay the rent and utilities for the building that God's provided for us. Some of it's used to take care of our preschoolers and our elementary kids to help them learn and understand Jesus on their level. Some of it's used to dump into our student life ministry where dozens and dozens of junior high and high school students come here every week from broken homes and we get a chance to give them truth. Some of it's used to buy new equipment and fix old equipment. Some of it's used to help us love and serve our city in a ton of different ways. Some of it's used to help people in need and plant new churches and then to fund and sponsor missionaries both locally and around the world. That's what happens when you trust God and you give to our house. Now, who decides what happens with your tithe? Well, our staff team works within a tight budget to make purchases for ministry needs, but we serve up under the authority of an advisory board that's been in place since before we ever launched who oversee our team made up of men, businessmen, ministry men from within our church and outside our church, and they are our accountability source. So any major financial decisions, any salaries that are set, including mine, all are approved by this team to provide accountability for us in the way that we manage what you have entrusted to God. Now, why in the world did I go on that long spill and tell you all that stuff? Because my hope is maybe I answered a real practical question that you've been asking or that you've been wondering about what happens when you fully trust God with your tithe. Now, as we get ready to close today, I want to invite some special people up. Uh, I want to invite my family. So can we give it up for my family, the people who make me look good? It's my wife, Heather, and my daughter, Kate, and my little guy, Braylon. And you hear me talk about them all the time, but I asked them to come hang out with me today. And here's what I want to tell you. When I was a little boy, my mom and dad taught me to tithe since before I can ever remember. They taught me to trust God with my first and my best. And when I was little, I obviously didn't have a job. And so what they would do is they would bring to me some coins on Saturday or they would bring me a dollar. And they would tell me to put it in the offering envelope. And then I would take it with me to church the next day. And when the offering plate came by, I would drop it in the plate. as my reminder. as my first and best, my tithe that I was bringing back to say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And as I got older and got my own job in high school and college, um, it was never a question for me on whether I was going to trust God with my tithe. And my amount was no longer just coins or a dollar, but whatever God provided for me, I would bring back to him that week to say, God, I trust you. And you know what I found? I found that I never went without, that I always actually had more than enough because I found that God was fully trustworthy. Well, over nine years ago, uh, I married my wife, Heather, and we joined our two accounts together, and we began this journey together of trusting God. We both were, had full-time jobs at the time, and so we joined our accounts together, and 
Thank goodness Heather's parents had taught her to trust God with the tithe, with her first and best, the 10% off the top. And so when we got married, it was never a question on whether we were going to tithe, where we're going to trust God. And so as we put our money together, whatever God provided for us every week, we would bring back to God our first and our best. You know what we found as a couple? Again, we found that, man, we, we never, to this day, never went without, that we always had more than enough because God was trustworthy. He was trustworthy. And over the last five years, God's expanded our family by a couple. And a little over five years ago, my wife and I had our son Braylon. And then a little over four months ago, man, we adopted my daughter Kate into our family. And from the very beginning, my wife and I wanted to teach our kids what it was like to trust God fully with the 10% off the top. And so for us, they're not old enough to have jobs yet. But we wanted to already begin to teach them what did it look like to trust God. And so for Kate, even though she doesn't have a job anytime she babysits or maybe when she gets money for her birthday or Christmas or maybe somebody just blesses her with a gift, we get together and we calculate what is 10% and then she brings that with her on Sunday and she puts it in the envelope and she drops it in the box to bring her tithe, her first and her best, 10% off the top back to God. And then for my little guy Braylon here, man, on Saturday nights before I tuck him in bed, I take a quarter, and I say, hey, buddy, I'm putting it right here on your dresser, and man, I want you to grab this in the morning when you come to the building, to the gathering, and this is your tithe. I want you to bring this back to God, to trust God with your first and your best. Isn't that what we do? That's right. <laughs> and we bring our tithe back to God. See, here's the deal. Man, my wife and I, our desire is that our kids would never, ever, ever know a time where they did not trust God with their first and their best, and they didn't bring their tithe back to God. And can I tell you that we have found that God is fully trustworthy, that he can be trusted in so many different ways. A little over a year and a half ago, as the exchange, we had something called Generosity Sunday, where we challenged everybody in our family to give back to God. For those of us who tithe, we said that we want to give above and beyond our tithe, to bring an offering on that one day to say, God, we trust you. And my wife, Heather, and I began praying about what was that number for us? What did God want us to give? God gave us a number. And honestly, with you, it was the largest number that we would have ever given on one particular day. And so we prayed again. And God said, no, this is what I want you to give. This is what I want you to trust back to me. But during that time, what a lot of people didn't know is we had just met our daughter, Kate, who was not our daughter at that time. And we were beginning to pray through, was God calling us to pursue the adoption process with Kate and so as we thought about that, we went, well, God, for us to bring in a whole other member to our family will bring extra expenses that we haven't budgeted for at this time. And so we honestly struggled with, God, can we really bring all of this? If we do all of this, then how are we going to take this step as a family to this other thing that we think you're calling us to do? But man, just like every time before, God says, no, I want you to be obedient. I want you to trust me. And so we did. And on Generosity Sunday, we wrote the check. And we brought it back to God to say, God, we trust you, even with this amount that may make us a little bit uncomfortable. A few weeks later, we finished the packet for, to pursue the adoption process, and we put it in the mail to send it off. Two days later, two days later after we sent the packet in the mail, my wife's boss called her and said, I want to give you a raise. And it wasn't just a small raise, but it was a substantial raise. And the raise that her boss committed to give her monthly was the exact amount that we had given back to God just a few weeks before. And God 
showed us. He doesn't just return to us just one time what we've trusted to him. But he does it over and over and over every single month when we get that check. It's a reminder that God can be trusted. And because of God's blessing through that in our life, we had the chance to pursue adoption with our daughter Kate, who's now part of the May family. You see, here's the truth about our family. Man, we're not perfect. We don't always get it right. There's some months and days and weeks that are tighter and tougher than others, if we're honest. Sometimes our kids probably forget to give. Sometimes we give, but maybe not with the most joyful heart. But here's what I'll tell you. We've never been without. Never, not once. We've actually always had more than we needed because we together are a living, breathing testimony that God is and always will be trustworthy. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.